Bilal seems to be one of those because she seems to have a lot of important people backing her. And she's decided to drop into our studios this morning at 820 so you can get to know Anna Bilal. And I imagine Brad Bradford isn't far behind. Uh, 652, and it's White Coat Wednesday, which means Dr. Mitch Shulman is here. Nice to have you. Good morning. Thank you, thank you. It's always a pleasure. I look forward to these. Okay, so let's take a look at some of the headlines in medicine this week, and one of them is somewhat astonishing as somebody who came of age during the whole um, AIDS pandemic, which is still with us, but the mania of the late 70s and early 80s, and a person has been cured of HIV. It's actually the fifth person? Yeah, something like that. Um, Basically, HIV has become a chronic viral illness. I don't want to minimize its importance. It's still dangerous. It's still potentially deadly. Uh, People can get into all sorts of problems from it. It's still out there. It's still being transmitted. All those things are true, and we don't have a vaccine. We have no way of keeping someone, protecting people in advance, although pre-exposure prophylactic medication does seem to work very well, and post-exposure prophylactic medication seems to work very well. In English, if you're ever exposed or think you might be exposed, let your healthcare provider know we have medication that we can give you as long as we get it to you soon enough. And so HIV or um, has become more and more, we'll call it a chronic illness, that with good medication, good follow-up, we can control. But we've not been able to cure it. Well, there are five cases, now a fifth one, this, the, they call this person the Dusseldorf patient, to protect their anonymity. And basically, In almost all of these cases, what's happened is they've developed underlying uh, blood cancers, leukemia or lymphoma, usually leukemia. And as part of their treatment for their disease, for their leukemia, not for their HIV, they've needed a stem cell transport. That's when we wipe out uh, their bone marrow. Bone marrow can't make anything anymore. And we give them a transplant of the specific cells that go on to become red blood cells, white blood cells, and platelets, the little guys that stop up any bleeding. Well, white blood cells are the cells that are infected and are involved in HIV. And if they lack a certain receptor, HIV can't get in and you're immune, quote unquote, to the disease. Well, in each of these cases, the person has gotten a stem cell transplant from a donor who by chance lacked that receptor on their white cells. And therefore, even though the person had been infected by HIV, once they got the stem cell transplant and they were treated with their anti-HIV medication for a period of time, but after three or four or five years, they were able to stop the HIV medication, and the disease was gone. It was not there. So obviously, this isn't a treatment that we can use for everyone to stop HIV to cure it. But as we gain more and more understanding of the process, certainly we're advancing much further in terms of the day when hopefully, the same way that we have basically a cure for hepatitis C, we may one day have a cure for HIV. That's remarkable when you think it's like doubly cursed because you have cancer and HIV, but doubly blessed because you get both are cured. Yeah, what a weird, weird twist of fate, huh? Yeah. So, uh, blood pressure. What do we, what, everything we know about blood pressure apparently is wrong, so am I in better shape than I thought? <laughs> No, you're not. And most people don't understand and don't follow their blood pressure. Normal really depends upon your body size and a whole bunch of other things. And so you can have people walking around normally. They don't feel lightheaded, short of breath, or get dizzy when they get up from lying down with a blood pressure of 110 on 70. That's okay for them. 
120 over 80 is the normal for most people. And we start getting concerned when the upper number, which is the systolic blood pressure, which represents the pressure within your blood vessels when the ventricles, the pumping chambers, contract and push blood out. The systolic blood pressure, we get worried when it gets above 130. The diastolic, or the lower number, is where the blood pressure is supposed to drop down, but there's still some residual pressure within the system because it's still filled with blood. That's the lower number, and it should be around 80. When it gets above 85, 90, we get worried. Why? Numbers above 120 over 80 in almost anyone means that your risk of kidney disease, heart disease, stroke, heart attack goes up dramatically. Well, most people don't know that. And most people don't ask. And when you go see your doctor, your doctor may take your blood pressure. You may go to the pharmacy and take your blood pressure, look at it, and not really register anything about it. But there's a science to how you take blood pressure. You're supposed to be calm for about five minutes, seated in a comfortable position for five minutes. The doctor probably needs to take two or three in a row. If you're someone who gets what we call white coat hypertension, which is where you get freaked out by being in the office with your doctor, what can I say? That's me. Um, we, we give you ambulatory blood pressure measurements so that it can be taken on a regular basis automatically at home over a 24-hour period. So we remove that. So it's really important to know your blood pressure, really important to follow it. And if it is elevated consistently under the right circumstances, in other words, it's been measured properly, something should be done about it. And the first step is weight reduction. Losing as little as 5% of your body weight can help. Making certain you're not putting in any salt in your diet and trying to remove any salt that's already in your diet. And exercise. Gentle aerobic exercise, walking, biking, playing golf, any of these things that get your body moving will also help to control your blood pressure. And if that fails, we're lucky nowadays, we have just a, a whole range of different medications that we can use if we need to. But you can't forget the disease we call it the silent killer because it's ticking away, going on, destroying your blood vessels, increasing your risk for heart attack and stroke and kidney disease without you realizing it until it's too late, which is why we follow the numbers and treat people based on those numbers. So there's all kinds of manias and all kinds of concern trolling on the internet and social media. And the latest one is that uh, it's a bad idea to touch receipts. That strikes me as odd. <laughs> so the heat-sensitive receipts, uh, the material used in them is by bisphenol A, BPA. And you may remember that was banned in a lot of uses because we were afraid as it leached out of the various plastics that it was being used in, that could affect hormones, it could affect your development and all sorts of other things. And it certainly wasn't good for the environment. Well, but we know about BPA. What we don't know about is the things that they're replacing it with. And we have a lot less science about the things that they're replacing it. So before we leap from the frying pan into the fire, the, the argument is maybe we should understand more of what we're replacing it with. And certainly if you're a cashier or someone who's handling receipts on a regular basis, we would recommend that you wear gloves um, to protect your hands while you do it or wash your hands very often so you don't get any of the residue on your hands and from your hands into your mouth or your eyes or your nose. Um, for most of us who don't handle receipts all that often, it's not going to be a concern. But I think the real alarm here is, one, if you work with it regularly, and two, what are we replacing it with? Yes, it's good to take out the BPA, but if you're replacing it with something like called BPS, which is very similar, for which we have much less knowledge and scientific uh, data on, maybe we're not doing something that's all that smart, and maybe we should look into it a little bit more before we make the change. And that's one of the key messages here. Thank you, Dr. Mitch. Always a pleasure. A joy and a pleasure. You have a great day.
That's Dr. Mitch Shulman on White Coat Wednesday. He's our medical correspondent. Coming up in the next half hour, we're going to talk about more money for security on the TTC. How much are we going to have to spend to make it not only safe, but to convince people it's safe enough that they want to get back on board. Plus, we're also going to talk about how the feds are chasing around Google uh, over this business of Google not paying for the news content that it uses. And I realize this is one of those things where if you ask Carmi Levy about it or, you know, international trade lawyer Mark Warner, they could probably go on for an hour about it. But most of us haven't spent a lot of time on the file. So we'll be unpacking that story. Plus, I want to tell you about the Ford Motor Company's plan to have cars repossessed themselves. It's 7 o'clock.